Okay, no pressure. Um, so it seems like there's a few different strands of questions tonight. People at different places in their practice, people at different, um, I guess you could say looking for different things. So to begin with, I'll, I can go somewhat chronologically, I guess. Um, but what stood out for both of your questions, actually, was the word should made an appearance. That the question was, should I sit with the back on my chair or should I not? Should I meditate before or after? And here's my reasoning for asking the should question. Um, but I would almost always say that a should question is already missing the mark. Right. So there's no such thing. Um, try different things out, see what works for you. I can say specifically to this question about finding balance while meditating, that that's very normal. Um, I had many experiences meditating at five in the morning every day for eight years in the monastery of falling over while meditating. Uh, it's slightly embarrassing, but that's it. And. Um, but actually, when your meditation starts to deepen, the body just locks in the position. Um, it'll just stop, and you'll, yeah, it kind of freezes. So it's not something you need to worry about. Um, there's absolutely no problem that if you're meditating and you kind of realize at some point that you're slouched over, just simply sit back and keep going. Don't create a story around it. Don't think, oh, should I, shouldn't I, is this, is this not? Just simply sitting back up. Um, that simple. <laughs> not making more out of it, it's fine. And, um, and experimenting, what works for you. Does a chair work for you better? Does the seat? All practice is an experiment. Um, there are teachers out there. Teachers have their methods. Teachers have, some have more specific almost like militant methods of you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, I did the 10-day Vipassana where there's times where they, you know, you can't move for an hour during that at some points. They call it aditana, strong determination, where you're sitting, you know, and they really, like, you can't even, you know, scratch your face um, because they want you to build up, like, a determination. And uh, there's other teachers that I know that have told their students, you know, feel your breath flowing in and out of your nose, and that's it and just go off and sit on a hillside and practice that for a year and come back after that. So there's no real one way to do things. It's a lot about figuring out what works for you, what's your own path and your approach. So I'm happy to hear that last week some of the things I said were helpful and they worked out. Uh, I don't remember everything I said last week. It kind of just flows through. So as you were reminding me, I was like, oh, really? I said that? You know, but, um, <laughs> But great, you know. So it's good just simply to find what works for you. At the end of the day, I have suggestions. I have the things that have worked for me or uh, what I've learned from multitudes of different Buddhist teachers and finding like an approximation of all that stuff that I can pass on to people. But at the end of the day, you have to make your practice your own. That is the only way that this all happens and this works. And even if there's teachers that give you really strict guidelines to follow, even within those guidelines, you're still going to make it your own. Even if you're not allowed to move your body, you still have to figure out how to orient your mind. 
right? Even if I tell you to focus on uh, seeing everything as an illusion, of not holding on to anything, of letting go, you still have to then within that framework of don't believe anything that I'm seeing or feeling or thinking, well, still, what is my relationship to that? How do I do it? Like you said the word fake news instead of saying illusion. Uh, making it your own is so, so, so necessary. Uh, I lead the meditations like guided meditations. It's, it's helpful in terms of, you know, I try to get you to the zone and I kind of drop you off there and, you know, it's like I take you to school and then you have to go to classes yourself, you know? So it's kind of like guided meditation. I feel like it's a great kind of bridge into that place. But then you also have to really start working with the subtleties of your own mind. How does that, how does that work? How to find my own place of practice? that I feel like I'm going deeper. Yeah, and you know, I've learned a lot from a lot of teachers, but honestly, the things that have really stuck with me and the things that have made the most impact were the things that I found out myself. Were the times where I was sitting for hours and hours and hours doing something wrong, right? Just fighting with myself, running in circles, trying, pushing, all these different things. And, it, and that moment where I saw, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm doing this thing, or I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere else. I'm thinking meditation is to be found outside of this moment. If I can just force myself a little more, push myself, then I'll get it. You know, and seeing these moments where I realize, oh wow, that's so stupid. That's the opposite of what I want. You know, and then letting that go, and then dropping into these deep meditations. And it's things that I've heard teachers say a hundred times, but until I saw myself doing it, until I made that experience, that's the only time that I actually got it and it made sense to me. So you really have to figure out how your path works for you. And um, also with this meditation first, or yoga first question, same kind of deal, it's really up to you. Um, I personally found that doing yoga before meditation is great. I feel that yoga even was maybe kind of created partially for that, to get all of the energies out of the body, to kind of smooth it all out, to open it up, to release it, so that when you sit, there's no more bodily restlessness, which is something that we deal with a lot. Uh, that being said, in the monastery, we would start the day at five in the morning with meditation. We'd meditate for an hour, and then we had time where then I would go and do a personal yoga practice. You know, and there's also something to be said about the very first thing you do in the day is sitting before the mind has started to run. So again, there's no real right or wrong way. It's really just figuring it out for yourself and also being honest to your own conditions, right? So a lot of us, myself included, probably me more than any of you, have these um, predetermined kind of like ideals of what practice should look like, you know, what it means for me to be a good practitioner, what it means for me to have accomplished my practice for the day. And, um, and that's a trap as well, unfortunately, right? Is that that's something that can be helpful. There are, I would say, like there's a type of person that they like having these frames and these goals and they kind of accomplish these goals and they work really well in like a tight regimented framework of like how a day works and runs. And there's some people I think that thrive in that. And then there's a lot of people that don't thrive in that. And I myself am one of the people that I seem to not thrive in that environment. It becomes more of like a feeling of an obligation or a duty or like I feel guilty if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to, right? What, I'm sh what I should, again, should be doing. 
So really, again, figuring out what is your own relationship to this practice, how it works, how you can move forward, what makes sense for you. And, um, you know, especially with a group like this that, you know, we have people here that we practice more regularly. Um, I mean, I'm happy we're doing the, the half-day retreat because I really almost feel that for a group like this, the thing that I could give, you know, I, I talk and I give talks and people are thankful to get impulses and understand things, uh, but I often come back to this feeling that I would love to just sit with you guys for as long as I can, you know, that you say you sit for a half an hour and you try to get to 45 minutes. Uh, I would love to then sit for an hour. You know, I would love to be the one that starts kind of pushing everybody a little bit more into a, a time frame of practice that you're not used to or comfortable with on your own or even comfortable with in a group um, because it, it is a little bit scary. I, I taught a meditation class and um, I called it the power hour. You know, and I advertised it as something where like we're all going to just come this one day like a workshop and we're going to sit for an hour together. And uh, I ended up canceling it because nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> because everybody, a lot of the people that saw it were kind of, yeah, it was um, intimidating, I guess is the word, you know, which is fine. So that's also, I feel like what part of my job should be is to kind of like push all of us a little bit into practicing longer, practicing more, getting into situations that maybe feel uncomfortable for us, and then allowing us to find our way through it. I think sitting for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, uh, we all can figure out a relative comfort within that. But what happens when we start sitting longer and longer and longer, and we, you know, our mind is wandering, and we realize, my God, I've been, you know, thinking about, you know, I watched the movie The Star is Born last night, and I'm thinking about Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper for the last, you know, 30 minutes, and, you know, gosh, what am I doing here? I'm supposed to be meditating. And, you know, that we really put ourselves in, in the place where we have to start struggling a little bit. Um, that's an amazing place to be in, actually, for meditation. And what we develop in that space, I would say, is also things like, so first of all, something called understanding. So understanding is one of the most important qualities that you can develop for yourself, but for yourself, also for others. When you can understand, if you could really understand yourself fully, if you could really understand other people, where they're coming from, what they think, what they feel, why, where did that programming and conditioning come from? How does that work into these larger social systems or um, you know, just movements within the world? If you could really understand people, if you could really understand yourself, deeply understand yourself, you automatically develop compassion. You automatically develop compassion. When you understand where things are coming from, everybody's doing their best. Even somebody that kills somebody, they think there's something in them that thinks that that's the way to happiness, or they're so lost in painful emotions that doing something like that is somehow less painful than the state they're in. That even the people that we would call quote-unquote bad people in this world, they all are coming from somewhere. There's something to be understood that 
you can understand. You don't have to agree or approve or anything like this, but you understand. And when you understand, you take away judgments. And when you understand, you connect on a human level to others and to yourself. And when you understand, understanding and love, understanding and compassion, it, they're the same thing. Yeah, to truly love something is that is you understand it. Yeah, otherwise, um, it's, you know, there's many different love-like emotions we have. There's even things like lust, which are like a sexual approximation to love, right? Or we have something where it's like, uh, I don't even know what it would be like, endearment is something, or um, where, you know, we're, we're really like smitten, whatever that word would be, right? That there's like with like another person, for instance, these are all like interpersonal things, more like partnerships. Um, but, but then when you start getting deeper, you know, love really starts to come from a place. Uh, I'm going to bring back in The Bachelor, which is a show that I've been watching and I have brought up every week so far to see who's still trying to judge somebody else in this room. But, um, but something that I've been appreciating about The Bachelor is like on this last episode of The Bachelor, people have started coming out and saying, you know, one, one woman was talking to The Bachelor and was like, you know, my mother is in prison and she's just getting out and I've been struggling with that and working with that and it's been difficult. Another woman just came out and she told this whole pretty detailed story about being sexually abused in college and what happened to her and why she's the way she is. And, um, and you start to understand these people. You know, at the first couple episodes you're sitting back and you're kind of watching them on TV and you're kind of laughing at them or judging them or thinking, oh, these stupid people, what are they doing? you know, trying to get this man's approval and fighting each other and all this stuff. But then you start hearing their actual stories and you see them as people. You see them on these deeper levels as human beings. And it's amazing and it's funny because every time someone really opens up and presents The Bachelor with information that they feel ashamed of, that they're afraid of other people knowing, that's their real vulnerable weak weaknesses inside, the things that they're um, yeah, that they feel like they need to protect and hide from everybody. When they share that stuff, he, he responds with love. And he ends up like, you know, giving them the rose to pass on to the next round because he's like, yeah, like, wow, thank you, you know. And there's this amazing thing that socially in our society, we're often taught or we're supported by each other uh, social media does not help often is to present ourselves in a certain way to to hide different parts of ourselves that we we don't think are acceptable um, and even that we don't allow ourselves to feel things about ourselves that we don't want to feel and we call those like our shadows right that we hide these things we lock them up but um, but part of being in the monastery for me and also going on retreats was really taking all that stuff, opening up all those boxes and starting to relativize everything and to sit myself down and say, Seth, I love you. How, whoever you are, however you are, whatever you have done, yeah, if you're, a whore, if you're the worst person in the world, uh, I still love you and I'm here for you. And like, just let me accept it. Let me admit to myself. Whatever I've ever done wrong in this world, I admit it. Let me, let me run through the Rolodex of things that I've ever done and I just admit and accept everything. All the qualities in myself that I'm not proud of, I go through them and I just admit them, accept them, integrate them all. 
And by the end of that process, I kind of realized, oh, I'm actually not a bad person at all. I'm like pretty freaking good. Um, but because you know, I didn't want to fully um, integrate all the different bits of myself because I was holding pieces of myself away, uh, they turned into a monster, right? I created this image that I'm not lovable, I'm not acceptable, yeah? And when we meditate especially, all of the things that we don't necessarily want to face, it's like the hydra, right? All these heads come up, all these different thoughts and feelings and worries. And, and it's just this mass of, of kind of repressed psychological things all kind of come up to, to meet with us at once. And, um, and that's why the average person doesn't meditate, because that's scary, and they don't know what to do with that. And, um, and even things as simple as boredom, right? A lot of us don't meditate because it's boring. Yeah, you're at home, and it's like, I could watch Netflix or I could meditate. <laughs> you know, it's, it's boring. It's on the surface. It seems boring. Or because we're all riled up because we built up such busyness in ourselves and we're thinking about things and figuring things out we have all our stories going about our life we feel like an anxiety inside of us that we we don't want to think about stopping because then I'm just gonna sit with this feeling of anxiety it's easier to keep going it's easier to keep distracting ourselves if anyone's been on like a longer retreat it takes a couple days to slow down, to break that momentum, to really fully arrive in the moment, to arrive where you are. Um, when I went to Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery for a couple months in France, you know, I arrived and I'd, you know, I walked in and you know, I'd see a monk and I'd say, oh, hi, and they would just stop and put their hands together. And I'd kind of almost like trip because, I, oh, and I'd stop to put my hands together too. And, you know, and they would just stand there smiling and then they would like slowly bow to me and I would, you know, and I felt ashamed of myself because I felt like all of the monks there were, were moving in slow motion, all the monks and nuns, that everything they were doing was just so slow and present, you know, and I was freaking out. I felt like a tiger in a cage, like I can't sit that still all the time, you know. Um, but eventually it's just started, I felt my own momentum started kind of releasing. I, I used the analogy when I was there of like shooting a bullet into water. You know, that I like hit the water and it was kind of jarring, but then it kind of slowed down as it went on. And, um, you know, and then in the kitchen, every time, every 15 minutes, the clock would ding. And no matter what you're doing, you just have to stop and breathe. If you're in the middle of a conversation, the clock dings, you have to just stop and breathe. You're washing the dishes, you have to just stop and breathe. That they worked on bringing meditation into the daily life. They worked on making meditation a little more um, inseparable from everything else that's going on, creating space, these pockets of space. And that's something that um, if we want to be successful in our practice, we have to really examine all 24 hours of our day, not just the 20 minutes that we're meditating. They are all connected to each other. So again, if you're running around, rushing around, yelling at people, you know, angry, stressing, etc., etc., and you sit down to meditate, your mind is just going to just be spinning through all that stuff. 
if you slowly start letting go during the day, you slowly start appreciating things, you slowly become a little more present with what you're doing, washing the dishes, walking the dog, going outside, whatever it is, when you just slowly just start to do one thing at a time, you know? Uh, I hate doing the dishes, right? So the dishes would pile up and only with like recently, I've started doing the dishes and saying to myself, this is also a thing to do, it's not boring. It's not this like boring menial task that you, you have better things to do with your life than wash dishes. No, like this is also something to be done in presence and, and fully here and, and just do things, live life. Don't resist anything. Just be a part of this life and choose your own relationship to that. Show up, you know, always arrive. Um, don't think that arrival happens later. Yeah, if then, I'll arrive, right? Arrive now. And slowly, by integrating little bits of that throughout the day, finding ways to be a little more present throughout the day, to catch yourself in stories, to catch yourself in old emotional patterns, to just slowly, slowly, slowly letting things go, disarming that part of the mind that wants to spin out of control every two seconds. Yeah, it's work. It takes time, right? But slowly, by doing that, when you actually sit to meditate, it's like, um, I almost want to look at it like it's a funnel, right? So imagine like there's a funnel in front of me in the air and on the kind of outside of that funnel, it's maybe uh, normal daily tasks that one could do, that one could do them a little bit more mindfully, a little slower, right? And then as you start to come into that funnel, then you're doing tasks specifically revolving around becoming more mindful, like doing yoga, like uh, walking meditation, like actually sitting to meditate, right? So the mind is starting to collect in on itself. And then you have that thing called like formal meditation practice where you're starting to come in where you close your eyes or if you want, you could have your eyes. But I would even say like having your eyes open maybe still is part of the, like we're collecting the mind just to be more present, more present, more present. And then we actually start to fully arrive here, that the mind becomes fully aware, that everything starts to drop away, that there's just kind of that awareness, right? That there's this unification of the mind. And that's kind of where the funnel goes down. So all of the things that start to bring you into more of a state of being present, right? All of the things that allow you to be more present, that's starting to collect the mind. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you that washing the dishes is meditation. Yeah. It's meditative. You can do it mindfully. You can, you can start building up the qualities of presence, the qualities of awareness. You could even, Thich Nhat Hanh, again, talked about loving it, washing dishes, feeling the warm water, building up appreciation, right? You can start building up qualities that then when you go to meditate, it'll kind of shoot you down the tunnel because you've been revving your engine in the background, right? that you've been building up these positive qualities in your mind that when you start to actually get to the point of practice, you just take off because you've built up the momentum for it. So you just shoot down that tunnel. Yeah, if again, you've been feeding the conditions for distraction, feeding the conditions for um, unsatisfactoriness, stress, anger, anxiety, whatever, stories that you're just running through, when you sit and close your eyes, guess who's going to be there waiting for you? All that stuff. Yeah, so you reap what you sow. That's called karma. 
Yeah, whatever you're doing, that's what you're going to get. Whatever you find now, you are going to find then. Yeah, it's all the same. So really treating each moment as the moment, right? <coughs> Every moment is the most important moment, right? Arriving in each moment, being more here, even as I'm talking to you, the meditation has already begun. Yeah, I'm already, by this talk, bringing you into that funnel. I'm already starting to collect our minds. By you driving here, you already started getting into that funnel because you left your normal daily lives and came to a kind of closed off, secluded spot to be with yourself, right? So we've already started this process. You know, since you woke up this morning and thought about coming here, you've already started that process of slowly arriving, 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 arriving. And then when we meditate now, and we'll do that in a second, we're really now just letting that process find its own conclusion, right? Keep riding whatever that momentum is that we've been creating, and just allow yourself to sink down into it. Yeah, don't think now we meditate, now I have to start doing something. We're not going to the gym and lifting weights and pumping ourselves up, right? Don't have any thoughts. Push things away. Feel the breath. Oh, crap. Sit up straight. No, you're falling asleep. You know, really just ride the, ride the inertia, ride the momentum that you've already created today by even coming here, by listening to me talk, by all the meditations we've done in the past. Yeah, we all have a force behind us that is already pushing us to this place of peace, of stillness, of, of unification, right? And ultimately, to, to get to the very center of meditation, to get to the absorptions, to get to that one-pointedness where everything just kind of collapses in on itself, that's not something that you can do anyway. Yeah, you can't actively do that because you are your mind and you're trying to get your mind to stop so you can't be on both ends at once. Eventually, to really get into the deepest places of meditation, you have to let go completely. You're not doing anything. You're not trying to meditate. There's not even an ability to do. There's not a separation anymore between you and something else. There's just this collapsing of everything into one. Yeah, and that happens because of the momentum that you've created and that pulls you into the meditation. Yeah, that your willpower is no longer valid. Your ego is no longer valid. Your understanding is no longer valid. There is no more that you can do. Um, I told my friends once when I was in the monastery in Australia that you know, I felt like I was a cup and I was going around the rim of this cup. And I just kept going around the rim of the cup, but I wanted to go in the cup. Right? Do you guys know what I mean when I say that? Going around the room of the cup, like, like I'm trying to sit here, I'm kind of sitting upright, I'm breathing, I'm relaxing, but I'm not like getting anywhere else. I'm kind of just getting to the same place where I feel pretty relaxed and pretty present, and, but I'm not like getting in. Like how do I get in? How do I get in? And as I was doing that whole thing, and I'm trying to get into the cup, I stopped and I looked at the whole thing that I was doing and I said, I am the cup. It's not like there's these two parts where there's me, Seth, trying to meditate with this thing called the mind. I am the mind, I am the cup, but I've created a, a split 
that I am looking at myself and thinking that they're two different things. Like, here's me and here's my mind, and I'm looking at it, trying me trying to get this thing to calm down. Yeah, do you guys have that experience? This is you, and you're looking at this thing, but what we don't see is that those things are connected. It's the same thing. And this thing that's your friend, you, whatever your names are, you, that's just the ego. That's the controller. The you that's trying to meditate, that's the enemy. Yeah, we always think it's the mind that's the enemy. The mind won't relax, the mind won't stop. But it's you, you're the one doing it because you're experiencing yourself as different than this. So you need to let go and you need to allow yourself to be a part of the whole thing. You need to allow this to just relax and unfold by itself. Yeah, that we have to smooth out the mind. It has, we're folding the mind over and we're looking at, we, the mind is looking at itself and thinking about it and judging it and reacting to it and trying to get this thing to do something. But it's, it's just one mind. So you actually just need to relax, stop. Stop separating the mind into two people. Yeah, we're schizophrenic. Yeah, just allow it to be one thing. Just relax. If you want the mind to relax, relax. You are the mind. The mind is you. And that voice, that's not you. The ego, that's not you. The willpower, that's not you. Yeah, the thing that you've been calling yourself this whole time, that's the ignorance. And this mind that you've been looking at externally, that's actually you. So it's a complete identification flip. And this is something it's, I don't know, it's the first time I've ever tried to talk about this like this. But this is 100% the best way that I can describe my own experience, is that the identification flips. And the thing that you thought was you, you realize that's actually the illusion. The thing that you've been trying to control and to get to shut up and calm down, that's actually who you are. And that, you can just do that. It just relaxes by itself when there's nobody pushing on it, forcing it. So do what you want with that. I think maybe I've brought us to the edge of our understanding or ability to understand, which is fine. So why don't we, for the meditation today, <clears throat> why don't we work on that process of, of letting go, of disidentification, right? You'll close your eyes and you'll feel like there's this me feeling my body, there's this me feeling my breath, there's this me looking into this black space, right? We feel this, we're experiencing this. And why not try feeling that black space, feeling the mind, and calling that other thing me? Yeah? And I'll guide us there. So why don't we all start to get into our positions, close our eyes, start to relax. And notice that there's this you. It feels like there's this me floating around inside of this body. There's this me that's confused. There's this me that wants to meditate. 
who wants to understand and experience things. But what if I've been wrong this whole time? What if I am not me? What if that body, that's me? Breathe deeply into the body, into our bellies. You don't do anything. Allow the body to breathe deeply into its belly. The body relaxes itself. It relaxes the face. The body relaxes its shoulders and arms. body relaxes its chest and back. The body relaxes its legs and feet. body feels the chair, the ground beneath it. The body feels the space around it. body feels itself breathing.
body is just fine without you. Take a break. Allow the body to feel itself, to feel the breath. body has its own consciousness. Allow the body to simply be here, breathing, present. The body feels the place where the air touches the nose. body wants nothing more out of this moment. It is simply here. Feeling the entire body sitting here.
body feels itself breathing. body feels the space around it. And the body feels the space within it. <clears throat> the space around the body and within the body are the same space. body breathes space in, and the body breathes space out. Feel the space flowing in and out through the nose.
I am an illusion. Feel the space. I let go and become that space. music, my breath, this body, the thoughts, it's all the same thing. Everything belongs. Everything is fine just as it is. Breath and space in the universe. There is nothing to do. Be fully present for all of it.
feeling the grounds beneath us. <clears throat> and the chair. Feeling our shoes. Feet. Feeling the ankles. Up to the knees. Feeling our thighs. And our hips. Feeling the belly. the back, feel the chest, shoulders, the arms, the hands, fingers, the fingertips, Feel the neck, the head, the jaw, the face. Feel the lips, the nose, the eyes, Taking three deep breaths in through the nose, filling the body out through the mouth. Rubbing the hands together until they're warm. 
placing the hands on the eyes. And rub your eyes, your face, your neck, shoulder. Give yourself some shoulder rolls, some neck rolls. You can rub down your back, the sides of your body, your knees, warming up anything that feels cold. Gently stretching out. <clears throat> and whenever you feel ready, you can open your eyes.